Well, this morning's scripture reading, I'll be reading from Matthew 5, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 30. Matthew 1, I mean, Matthew 5, 1 through 30. Seeing the crowd, he went up to, on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are those pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for righteousness' sake, for they for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And they, and so for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste. How shall it be, its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and, give it, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that others, so that, so that uh, they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a, nor a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does, does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell of fire. So if, you, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be put in, pr in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than f that you lose the whole body to be, um, be thrown into hell. And if, you, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body into go your whole body go into hell. This morning, we want to consider the sin of anger. Um, For you visitors who uh, maybe haven't been here recently, uh, we're going through a a set of sermons on what is considered the seven deadly sins, or the seven mortal sins. And these are, are sins that, when left to their end, separate us from God and particularly sins that we ought to be aware of and cognizant and to be exerting a lot of effort to understand and to mortify or to put to death. And so we've considered greed, we've considered envy, we've considered pride, and this morning we want to consider the sin of anger. Anger is unique in the seven deadly sins in that it is both a sin and an emotion. And so we have to differentiate between what is sinful anger and what is the, the emotion of anger. David Pallison, in his book, Good and Angry, which I can wholly recommend to you, uh, says that anger at its core is a response that says, I'm against that. And so when we feel anger, it's normally a response of our inner desires and our deeply held values saying to us, I'm against that. A while ago, I was in a a store of some type, I don't remember what store, and I observed uh, an older man mistreating his wife. He was just kind of rude and crass, and and my anger arose. And, you know, your first response is, I'll just punch that man in the face, right? That's the first response. You're being rude. You're being terrible. She doesn't deserve that. And that's not all entirely wrong, because you're longing for something that's good, You're longing for him to be respectful and not rude, where I was. And and the anger arising alerted me to, I'm against that. That's not the way things ought to be. And so at its base, the emotion of anger is a protective emotion that tells you something is wrong, something is out of place. And anger is often reflexive. Again, I'm not normally a violent person, but that first thing in mind is is that angry response. So you have some choices. You can do nothing, you can kindly confront, or you can punch the man in the face, I guess. So the difference is not, the difference we're looking for is not the emotional response that we feel in those moments, but how we let that control us, how we let that govern our actions. And so, quite obviously, punching him in the face would have been a sinful response of me.
We sin in anger when we allow anger to govern our responses and our reactions. I don't have a particular text that I'm necessarily drawing from this morning. Uh, Looking at, again, in these sins, we've been looking, what does the Bible say about these sins? What are the places we see them? How will we look at them in ourselves? And what are the ways the gospel confronts them? But Matthew 5, that when read, uh, speaks to that in verses 21 to 26. In this text, Jesus is elevating anger to the level of murder. Now, I think we could all acknowledge that if a murder occurred, anger probably occurred before the murder. That murder really is the extension of anger controlling us and taking us in a place we don't want to go. To be angry, to display anger, opens us up to judgment. Opens us up to someone, God, others, saying, well, that that was unjust. The display of anger opens ourselves up to judgment. And so everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable. Whoever insults his brother will be liable. If we look down on others in anger, uses the language, you fool, then we'll be liable to the hell of fire. And so if our way of living in the world is to be expressing angrily our our willingness to not want other people to not like them, to dislike what they are, then that in the end is a sin that will lead us to death. But this idea that anger is, uh, I'm against that response, uh, we see that in several places in Scripture. The first evidence we see is um, what we referred to last Sunday is Cain killing his brother Abel. And Cain perceived his rejection from God, and he allowed that, I don't like that, to flow into violence against his brother. Balak the king was angry at his paid prophet Balaam because he would not curse the children of Israel. Balak saw them as a threat, and now his his paid curse caster was issuing blessings instead of curses. And that made him angry. He says, I'm against that. You're blessing what I don't want. Jonah was against the saving of the people of Nineveh. He didn't want these savages to be saved. And so he was angry at God because he says, I'm against you saving them. The prophet Jeremiah was beaten and imprisoned because he only prophesied doom And the people were against that. And so they reacted angrily against him. And so we see anger being expressed in these evil ways when our idols and when the things that we prefer are stepped on by others. But the complicated reality 
of anger is that in Scripture, anger is most often displayed by God a wide number of times. In the Old Testament, God expressing anger is seen 181 individual times. A common saying that we see in Scripture, though, is that his anger was kindled against these people, or his anger was kindled against this person. Now, I think that's kind of, that language is kind of interesting because it doesn't say his anger exploded. It says his anger was kindled. His anger was slowly formed as he saw people rejecting him. It wasn't just an explosive reaction. This idea of God being angry is not something that's reserved to Christianity. It's something we see in many pagan gods too. But God's anger... Jehovah's anger is not the chaotic, bipolar, evil anger that many moderns seem to ascribe him. Again, if we go to ancient Greek and Roman philosophers, they saw the rage of humanity, they saw the anger of humanity, and they assumed that the gods were just like that. And that's in fact how they understood the chaos of the world. Well, the the world is chaotic, that means the gods must have been chaotic, and The world is like their God. But God's anger is not like that. God's anger, in the same way, shows us what he is against. God's anger is displayed when he says, I'm against that. God's anger protects and values what he longs to see. We also say that God is jealous over his people. And it simply means that he longs for his people to have a full understanding of who he is, to have a full understanding of his righteousness. Our misunderstanding of God's anger comes when we cast human frailty upon God. God's consistent call to us in anger is be angry and sin not. And God is fully capable of that. God is fully capable of being angry for only the right reasons. Again, God's anger at what he is against protects and values what he is for, for his holiness, for his righteousness, for his sovereignty over the world. But the places we see human anger in Scripture are not like that. These places of human anger often protect what is selfish rather than what is good. And so the king Ahab was angry that his neighbor Naboth would not sell him his vineyard. Here is this beautiful piece of land beside me. I want it. I have all the money. I'll even give you a larger one later, somewhere else. And Naboth said, how can I sell my ancestors' land? How can I get rid of my inheritance? And Ahab was angry because he couldn't get what he wanted. Saul was angry at his son Jonathan because of his friendship with David. David 
was seen by Saul as a threat to his kingly rights. And Saul actually saw David as a threat to Jonathan's right to the throne. And so Saul was not in favor of David becoming the next king. And so he was angry with his son because of his friendship with David. The general Naaman was angry because he thought Elisha would just wave his hand and heal him rather than ask him to go do something. So his anger burned and he ran away from Elisha. The prodigal son's older brother was angry because he did not like the grace of his father towards his brother. Our problem with our anger is that we are not reliably against the right things. And we are often against the things that simply tread upon our own selfish desires. In each of these, the anger sourced from a selfish desire being tread upon. And this is where the, seven, the remainder of the seven deadly sins raise their ugly heads. Because they generally are the source of our anger. And so we get angry when our pride is denied or confronted. We rather like to protect our pride. We get angry when our desire for luxury and comfort is trespassed by another person. Now, I want my stuff to be like this or to look like this and somebody sins against me by denying me that right. We get angry when, in greed, we don't perceive that we've received our due. I'm worth more than that, and we allow our greed to drive our anger. And we get angry when, in envy, we think somebody else got a better shake of life than we did. Brother Paul mentioned that our world is angry, and I think we can look through these deadly sins and we can find the source of much of anger. And so this, I'm against that, shows up in these selfish ways. As an illustration, we only need to look at the simplicity of a child. Their temper tantrum clearly displays their selfish heart. But I don't want to go to bed. I want another piece of chocolate cake. But I have to have more Legos. We as humans are not that... um, We're a little better at hiding those sorts of clear selfish desires. We can build them up in nice-sounding... We have a way of making our desires serve other people so that they look good and sound good and then they make me look good and then I get to have them. So the reality that we should be um, skeptical of our anger flows from the fact that we can't reliably be angry and sin not. And so we should be skeptical of our anger. Our primary position against anger should be skepticism. And yes, there's such a thing as righteous anger, but we should not assume ourselves to be capable of it. Okay, there's such a thing as righteous anger, but we should not assume ourselves to be capable of it. 
And I think there's three reasons why we should be skeptical of our anger. Far too often, anger is the spark that brings about great evil and suffering. We can look back in history and see many places where anger was used to bring about much suffering. I think one could argue that World War II in Europe came about because Hitler was able to whip up the anger of the German people against the unfair results of World War I. And he was able to convince them that the Jews and that the French and the English and the Americans and all these were out to take them down and only had evil in mind against them. And he proved that appealing to the baser desires of man is effective in triggering an irrational and angry response. We look at some of these horrible evils, and we we have to recognize, we have to reckon with the fact that behind every individual killed was a person who pulled a trigger or dropped a canister of gas. And that something within them made that possible. And that something within them is capable of being within us. Those people allowed anger to drive them to gross, terrible evil, and we have to recognize that if we're not skeptical skeptical of our anger, we as well can end up in a similar place. Jesus points to murder as the capital offense, but as I mentioned earlier, most murders result from anger running its course. You have so tread upon my I don't like that that I will take your life to protect it. You have so stepped upon my selfish desires that I will protect them by taking your life. Secondly, much of Scripture. So first of all, we should be skeptical because anger normally results in suffering. Second of all, Scripture in many places describes anger as sinful. Again, referring to Matthew 5 here in the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus cast a dim view on anger and equals it with murder. If you express your anger, Jesus says you'll be liable to judgment. If we look through the epistles and we see the many times that the Apostle Paul gives a list of sin, he he generally describes the glory of the gospel and the way it should change us, and then he warns us of a list of sin, and anger is in many of those lists. As a gross and a destructive sin that leads us away from God. Thirdly then, if we look at the broad counsel of wisdom literature in Scripture, so if we look at Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, they regard anger as something to be tamed, something to be controlled, something to be not let loose. So Proverbs 19 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Ecclesiastes 7, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. And Psalm 4, be angry and do not sin. 
Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. The counsel here is to be slow in your anger. Now, in our skepticism of our anger, we have to admit as well that anger can have some utility in our hearts if we are careful not to let it dominate us. And anger will do something very good for us. The scripture would teach us that our hearts are deceptive, that it's hard to know them. Most of us would say we know somebody else's heart, probably clearer than we know our own. It's hard to understand ourselves. Well, one of the key billboards to what's going on in your heart is where do you get angry? Anger shows us what we really care about. Anger shows us when somebody stepped on that, I don't like that reality in our lives. And so, if we can heed the advice of Psalm 4, when anger arises, ponder it. Interestingly, he says, ponder it yourself on your beds. Um, Meaning, choose something peaceful to ponder. Uh, Choose a place that is peaceful. But ask yourself, what idol has my anger triggered? What is this thing that I care about so much? Anger will give you a 2020 view of what you care about. And for most of us, that might actually be a pretty frightening thing. But understanding our hearts allows us to again return to the cross, again return to our Savior and beg of Him to change our heart. Anger also has value as we see it coming from other people. And so when we see anger showing up in another person in our conversation, let us realize that we've stepped on something they value. Now, I think the worst thing we can do in that moment, and I think I'm, I'm terrible at that, is to identify that as their idol. <laughs> you know, if somebody gives you anger as a response, and you say, well, you just are selfish. Um, I'm just, that's not going to go well for you. Um, as if another stomp on the idol is going to help them. But I think we can see that we've stepped on something in that person's life, and we can step back and maybe we can help them ponder it. Uh, But understand that that anger is not necessarily a rejection of us or against us. And maybe we can, with grace and kindness, help them. Now, maybe this talk of anger is a bit foreign to you, and and you may say, well, I'm not an angry person. Um, I don't get mad. Or maybe you're on the opposite side, and, and this consideration of anger makes you hang your head and say, I've got a problem with that. Um, in, in David Pallison's book that I mentioned, Good and Angry, um, he, he's written the shortest chapter you could possibly write in a book. And chapter number two, the title of the chapter is, Do You Have a Serious Problem with Anger? And the chapter is one word, yes. 
And this is a discussion book, so it actually has chapter questions, and he's got a list of questions about that chapter as well. But the reality, I think that all of us should face the reality that whether we're explosive in our anger, whether we let it out, or whether we keep it in and control it, each of us have a problem with anger. It's our tendency to think of anger um, like the Hebrew word that represents it, and it's, it's the flared nostril. Uh, anger is a physical thing, um, and we see that anger does have that effect on us. If we're really angry, we're going to get a particular face and a particular color and a particular posture. But that's not the only thing that anger is. Anger can be any way we, re- we respond sinfully to the, I don't like that. And so anger can show itself in the angry outburst, but it can also show itself in the angry brooding and in the silent character assassination where we have this dialogue and we tell them in our minds everything they've done that have stepped on our idols. So I think each of us need to be open and and acknowledge our own struggle with anger. To finish here this morning, I'd like us to consider what are the primary ways that we battle anger. I think first and foremost is we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. You see, this, this problem of anger is that our lordship gets stepped on. And I'm trying to say that I'm the king, and you're firing shots against my kingdom. That's why I get angry. But as Christians, my kingdom is not my own. I am a member of another kingdom. And so that needs to be the foundation with which we attack anger that I am under the lordship of Christ. I am a member of his kingdom. And second, we need to heed the warning to be slow to anger. We need to develop control over our internal dialogue. When anger arises, can we develop a habit of recognizing it, of assessing it, and controlling our actions? Our tendency is to allow anger go directly to action. I feel this way, I do something. But we need to ask God to help develop in us the ability to stop, to assess, and and then to consider our actions and our anger. Again, over and over in Scripture, we see the description of God as slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We see... In Proverbs 15, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. And in James 1, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Can we develop a way to slow down the narrative that is saying in your being, I don't like that. And James would instruct us that a key to that is hearing, is first listening and understanding. Because often our anger is triggered 
by someone, but they didn't really intend the things the way we heard them. They didn't necessarily, we've misunderstood, and it's an easy thing for us to do. If we slow down that narrative, if we are quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, um, I think that's helpful for us. Thirdly, anger is often an action of vengeance. And so if we're going to battle against anger, the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 12 that vengeance is the Lord's, and He will repay what is just. Again, for me, that instant desire to punch the man in the face for being rude to his wife sort of it does protect something good, but that's not my place. My place is not to issue vengeance. And we each need to be reminded that it's not ultimately our duty or responsibility to set things to right. We need to remind uh, ourselves that God will do good enough without our fists. I think most of us recognize that if we were to enact vengeance, uh, it would be of the get-ahead variety, not in the get-equal variety. God is able to enact vengeance that is just and right. Fourthly, we see in Scripture that we need to renounce anger and turn away from it. And so this morning I would say to you, if, if you are now more aware of your anger, um, the first step is to renounce it and to begin the long journey of putting it to death. And we as elders want to be available to you. If you find that you've been in this place of anger over and over and you've let it unravel you, we would love to walk with you in that, to help you figure out what are the idols that trigger this for you? What are the realities that get stomped on that may need addressed? And we as elders are not perfect in this area either, um, to be able to honestly preach this sermon, I had to uh, confess to my wife that sometimes my anger goes beyond what it ought to. So we don't walk with you as perfect, but we walk with you as with you. In the end, our anger is most confronted at the cross. Let us take a look at Jesus. If you consider any human that had the right to be angry, righteously angry at things unjustly done to him, Jesus is the prime candidate. His purpose, his reality of being on the earth was misinterpreted not only by his enemies, but also by his friends. But when he could have been the wrathful one, when he could have righteously been angry, it is he who took that wrath and anger upon himself. And he bore 
the righteous vengeance due all of us on himself. In the end, our anger asks us to consider, what am I against? But it also asks us to consider, what am I for? Is my anger supporting my own selfish realities? And may God in his mercy work in each of our hearts and deliver us. And may we learn by his spirit to control the anger that is in us and to be concerned about the things that God is concerned about. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we acknowledge that far too often we succumb to our anger. And far too often we allow anger to control our actions. And Father, often they lead us to display sinful attitudes and sinful actions. Father, I pray that you would give each of us grace to confront our idols and our desires with your presence. That we could see our anger for what it is, a display of of our own lordship and our own glory. Father, again, lead us to the foot of the cross where we can see your anger bore by your Son delivering for us freedom and eternal life. And Father, from the foot of the cross, may we walk as your sons and daughters, free from anger that represents our own sinful desires. Father, help us to align our I'm against that with what you're against. And may we live in harmony with you in that. Father, do this for the glory of Christ in each of us, we pray. Amen.